So this morning, um, we're going to deal with a particular passage of Scripture that I'm sure most of us have heard for a long time. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me uh, share a little bit of a story with you. Uh, some of you may know who I'm talking about here really early on. Maximus was a loyal and faithful general to his Caesar, Marcus Aurelius. Yet his evil son Commodus, because of jealousy, betrays his father's trusted servant. Some of you know what I'm talking about there. In this story of treachery, this story of treachery that we find often in movie lines, it's what's sad is that it often portrays itself in real life just as well. And some of you may know how the sting of treachery feels because you've experienced personally. I can say I have. What's ironic about this story in the movies is the way it portrays out in real, real world life as well, which is ultimately in the end, the bad guy gets what he deserves. And that's the way it should play out. And if nothing else that you get out of this message today, this is what I wanna share with you. In spite of how your circumstances might look or feel, God is ultimately in control. He knows what's going on behind the scenes. And just as uh, the movie portrays, in the end, righteousness wins. And that's the way our story goes today. In our Bibles, uh, we have been going through, in our sermons, we've been going through a series of messages. And today, we will complete uh, the first section of two in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 uh, through Daniel chapter 6 are the narratives of Daniel. They're stories that uh, basically display what's going on in Daniel's life. Uh, next week, we'll pick up with Daniel's prophecies. And so the book is pretty evenly divided. Chapters uh, 7 through 12 are all of Daniel's prophecies. So if you're into prophecy, you want to come back here next week. And we may be breaking up uh, that second section of Daniel up in uh, two pieces, so just don't, don't, ex don't be disappointed if we kind of go at it and then back off and then go at it again. We will finish Daniel. Um, so before we get into our text, I need to set up the context. You know, what is going on when we get to Daniel chapter 6? Well, there's a couple things. Um, if you were here last week, you know that uh, the golden kingdom of Babylon has now been overthrown. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 ends with the Medes and the Persians coming in and conquering Babylon. And so uh, they, they come in, they take Babylon, just as Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue of gold and the statue of silver, uh, as it portrays down or comes down in the dream, um, it is portraying, it's, it's working its way out in real life uh, for Daniel. And so the Medes and the Persians are the ones that are in charge at this point. The year is uh, 538 BC. So one, when we get to Daniel chapter 6, one year has elapsed from the time that the Medes have conquered Babylon to where we start reading in chapter 6. Um, this, this transition of power has gone by somewhat peacefully as takeovers can go. And so the Medes are now in charge, and there's, there's some good things going. Uh, one of the things that is most significant to the history of Israel is in 538, 
the Medes, the Persians, they allow a remnant of Israel or the Hebrews to return to Jerusalem. And so Zerubbabel and 50,000 Jewish people are able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the, the temple and rebuild, uh, they're, they're, they're expected to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem. So it's a significant life event in the history of Israel. Now, before we get into this, because one of the main players in this story today is Darius. And so we need to talk about who is this Darius. Please understand, don't be confused. There's a couple Dariuses in, in ancient history. This is not Darius the Great. Uh, Darius the Persian will come um, several years after this story. So it's not Darius the Great. Um, Daniel chapter 5 ends with uh, these words. The very night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So we know this guy is about 62 years old, and that's all we have. And once again, uh, the liberals love to jump on Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6, because for years they said, see, there's no historical evidence of this guy Belshazzar. And uh, Michael pointed out, no, we actually found some written documentation of Belshazzar and about the overthrow of the Babylonian uh, capital. So we, we, we got that all covered. Well, Daniel chapter 6 comes and they say, ah, see, there is no historical uh, Darius. So there is no Medo-Persian king named Darius. So the Daniel chapter 6 has got to be wrong too. Well, we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Even though there's no historical evidence, I would like to venture to say, not yet. It's just a matter of time. It'll be discovered, and, and we'll, we'll see that the Bible is confirmed once again. We do know that historical evidence says that uh, the, the Mede king uh, general, uh, the guy named uh, Agubar, or Agabu, uh, who's also sometimes his name is in the ancient documents spelled with a G, Gubara, Gubara, um, I can't even say it. Um, same guy, he was 62 years old when uh, Persia conquered Babylon. So he's got to be the same guy. Um, and so I want to give you a couple options. Who is this Darius? Well, I believe that he is uh, Gubaru. Uh, he is the general that was not only the conquering general, but according to written historical documents, he is the one that's put in charge for almost a year until Cyrus, the Persian king, gets to come to Babylon and is crowned uh, king over the Babylonian empire. And according to the ancient documents, uh, Guburu is 62 years old when Babylon is overthrown. More ironically, that's exactly what Scripture tells us. Some people, uh, commentators say, well, no, this Cyrus, uh, Cyrus the Great is also called Darius the Mede. Well, I think that's somewhat of a stretch, but uh, there are commentators that say that. I also found this something interesting. In Aramaic, the word for king is Dara, Daras. And so Darius may be uh, just another title, like we have Caesar, and so uh, the guy that we're calling Darius may just be another way of saying Darius, uh, or Caesar, uh, the king. The king is the one who is in charge. 
Um, regardless of who he actually is as a historical character is somewhat irrelevant to the story. We know he's a real person because we believe scripture is true. So let's get into the text and let's look at Daniel's faithfulness in verses 1 through 4. And the scripture says, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. This is an ingenious uh, play uh, uh, of strategic uh, control or governing uh, by the Medes and Persians. This is how they not only conquered, were able to conquer one-fourth of the ancient world. I mean, you think about this. uh, The Mede and Persian Empire was absolutely gigantic. I mean, it went from uh, where we have as Rome all the way to China at one point, and India, it was a humongous, and the reason that they were able to not just conquer but rule it is because they had this ingenious uh, approach. They would take local officials who were in charge in the past, they would bring them in, and they would say, okay, you now work for us. We're the new guys on the block. You're working for us. You, be, you uh, swear your allegiance to us, and we will allow you to maintain your leadership role in our new kingdom. And so it's ingenious. It's, it's, it's amazing that they would do this. And you'll see this played out again in the story of Esther. And so the Medes and the Persians were very good about this. Um, so why was Daniel put in charge? You ever thought about that? You know, we read the text, we need to ask, ask some questions. Why was Daniel selected as one of these satraps to be in charge? Well, if you remember how chapter 5 ends, you remember that uh, he has for, Daniel has foretold uh, what's going to happen to Belshazzar and the kingdom of, of Babylon. And Belshazzar has promised the guy who can tell what the handwriting on the wall would be uh, is going to get a purple robe and he's going to get a chain of gold. And it's very likely that when the Medes come in, Daniel is wearing that purple robe and that chain of gold. And so they walk in and, well, this guy's got to be someone important. I mean, look at the way he's dressed. It does maybe say something about how we should dress. I don't know, but it made a difference in Daniel's interview, that's for sure. And he didn't even say very much. So, so that is why Daniel is, must be selected, or maybe one of the reasons. What's interesting is Daniel is now over 80 years old at this time. He has been faithful, and it's because of his faithfulness as a young man that God is going to allow him to be faithful and be blessed as an older man, and that should be significant for all of us. You know, you do, you do reap what we, we do reap what we sow, you know, and so faithful in little usually determines faithful in much, and that's what Daniel, we see, plays out. Darius is now going to be the sixth king that Daniel is going to serve under. So kingdoms may come and kingdoms may go, but Daniel is still there because of his faithfulness. So let's read and see what, what's going on here. Verse 3. Then this Darius became distinct, uh, I'm sorry, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. What did did Darius see in Daniel? 
I mean, clearly, clearly he saw something different about Daniel, about this guy. Because I'm sure he uh, had paraded in front of him all the other uh, officials, all the other governors, all the other satraps. But he saw something in Daniel unique. And I would argue that he probably didn't see the Lord God in Daniel at first. He wasn't, if he did, he wasn't able to identify that. But maybe he saw these things, a great attitude, integrity, trustworthiness, reliability, dependability. Maybe he saw that Daniel was proactive and diligent and he was self-motivated. These are all great attributes of great employees. And if you are a business person or if you work in a business, you love to have fellow employees or employees that characterize these kind of qualities. I don't know if you've ever worked in a company, I've worked in companies before, where I feel like I'm working with a bunch of people that don't want to be here. I'm working with a bunch of people who don't really care whether this company is around next year. And it's very frustrated as, it's frustrating as a, a fellow employee, but as an, a, an employer, it's got to be mind-boggling, you know. That's usually why someone says, and you're fired. Daniel gets promoted, and this plan that, is, that Darius has becomes public. Somehow, you know, the gossip mill starts working. And so it becomes public in, in the new kingdom that Darius is going to promote Daniel, and that sets everybody that is in charge on, on the heels. They want to know, what are we going to do? They had worked with this Daniel before, and what's going on here? It's interesting. Even at 80 years old, Daniel is a target. You think about that. You know, um, I've talked with some seasoned saints, um, you know, and, and you get to the point where you think, okay, Satan, are you going to be done with me yet? I mean, you know, have I not proven that I can be faithful to you? And yet Satan continues to attack, uh, and it ultimately is till death does us part. And that's the way it works. We continue to be attacked by Satan and by his schemes until we pass from this earth. Verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom. But they could, not find, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he, that's Daniel, was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Search, scrutinize, Dig as deep as you want to go. What are you going to find? I hope, it would be great if I could say that about my life. But, you know, there are things in my past that I would hope you would never find out. And I'm sure, unless some of you are uh, different than I am, there are things in your past that you hope no one finds out. But not in Daniel's case. In Daniel's case, he said, dig away. Scrutinize, search, do whatever you want to do. You know, you're not going to find anything. Why were they doing this? Well, the simple answer is they were jealous. They were jealous of Daniel. They had served along with Daniel before. Daniel had already embarrassed them a few times before because Daniel was able to do things that they weren't able to do. And this was their chance. This is, okay, now we can finally get rid of this guy that has been causing us all this problem. And so that's what it was. You know, um, I hate to use personal stories, but there is a personal story that I want to allude to here. 
When we moved here 20 years ago, Renee and I moved here because I was a regional trainer for a major uh, corporation. I shared an office with, at the regional headquarters with my counterpart. I trained the service managers, the, the, the people who write up work orders, uh, so service manager, assistant service managers, and I trained all the way to the ma uh, mechanics and master mechanics. So I took care of the repair industry uh, of this business. My counterpart trained uh, the store managers and the assistant store managers, so he, he trained for the merchandise end of our business. And I got there very early, and I found out um, about two months into this that this whole time he was constantly throwing me under the bus. He was constantly complaining and going to the regional manager of the things that I was doing that he didn't approve of. And it, it took over a year for that to get resolved. And it was something as simple as uh, when I came, Renee probably remembers this, uh, I hope you do, uh, I got there and I had a full beard. And that was a major problem for my regional manager. He, he didn't like me having a beard. Sorry, guys that have beards. So I shaved it off. I said, if that's going to fix it, then I'll shave the beard. That's, if that's what's going to make him happy, then we can do that real quick. So I shaved the beard. And within, you would think something as silly and simple as that was so insignificant, but it made a big difference. And it spoke volumes to my regional manager saying, hey, I am on your team. I am for you. Whatever you want, you know, I'm here to help you. Ironically, the other guy, he... Uh, he got his due reward. And so uh, I continued to get promoted. Let's talk about these guys. You know, these guys were thinking about all the trouble that they, were ha that they had been in because of Daniel's faithfulness, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the power that they had lost, and now there was their chance to get even with them. But Daniel's faith proved to be true. So we want to look at that in verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Since nothing could be found in his personal life, in his business life, you know, because he had conducted himself in a, in, a, in a manner that was above reproach, they were going to have to use his faith to incriminate Daniel. Now, wouldn't that be great to say that's what people do about us? Because you're such a person of integrity, we're going to have to find your faith as a way to incriminate you. I can imagine uh, these guys getting together in a conversation going something like this. One guy speaks up, maybe the one who appoints himself in charge. Okay, who's going to get the dirt on Daniel? Nobody hold back. Everybody, let's, let's, let's talk here. So one says, well, he's always supported me. One of the other guys says, well, you know, he prayed for me and my wife when we were sick, and God healed us somehow. Maybe a third one says, you know, I actually go to Daniel when I can't figure things out, and Daniel helps me. But then, like a switch, everything turns. And then one says, yeah, he's always judging me. I just know it. The way he looks down on me, I think he thinks he's better than me. And then another one goes on. Yeah, Daniel doesn't believe in my gods. He doesn't believe that my gods are even real. 
Who does he think he is to judge? And then finally one says, yeah, he prays in public and in private. He makes us look bad. Like we're all less spiritual than he is somehow. And then finally, that guy who's appointed himself in charge, he says, that's it. That's how we're going to get him. That's how we're going to discredit him. We're going to use his faith against him. And so here's the question for us. Is your faith pragmatic or is it principled? You know, pragmatic means that it ebbs and flows, you know, and it when it's convenient, you have it. When it's inconvenient, you don't have it. And I'm sure that many of the Babylonians and maybe even the, the new, uh, new empire, the Medes and the Persians, felt like these Jews are going to be just like us. Their faith is going to be pragmatic. It's just going to kind of go and come as it's convenient or inconvenient. It's not going to be any big deal. Sadly, that is exactly the way American Christianity has been. And it's played itself out all, all too often and even very recently. That what happens is Christianity, uh, American Christianity, says, well, when it's convenient for me to be a Christian, I'm in. When it's inconvenient, I'm out. Don't point me out. And so that is a problem for Christianity. That's a problem for us. We know what Scripture says. And as followers of Jesus, as followers of of Jesus, we should place high value on God's word, and we should say, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, my faith is based on God's word, and I am going to do what the Bible says regardless. You know, it's sometimes, it's almost funny, uh, liberals, uh, the liberal camp of Christianity, they call themselves progressives. I would really like to say they're regressives. You know, they, they're going backwards to a time that, you know, the Bible doesn't even know of. Back to the time of these guys. And these, these accusers, these guys that are now getting ready to get, get Daniel, these are the ones that should have learned their lesson at the fiery furnace. But yet they didn't. Matter of fact, that lesson at the fiery furnace just makes them more intent to get rid of these Jewish Jews. Just like some people are making their way to... Make sure they get rid of us Christians. You know, so the question is, is your faith pragmatic or is it principled? Is it based on God's word or does it ebb and flow? You know, I wonder if Daniel thought of the, thought of the words of David, King David. King David uh, had some pretty bad naysayers, as you probably know. Psalm 109 is filled with what David has been talking about, about these naysayers. In verse 2, he says this, For the wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. And in return for my love, they accuse me. But I give myself to prayer. You know, in spite of whether... Our, our faith is um, convenient for everyone that we're around or inconvenient. It, it should not shift our determination to be faithful to the Lord. It shouldn't shift us to the point where, well, it's inconvenient for them, so therefore I won't demonstrate my faith in Christ. shouldn't be that way. Verse 6, we read these words. And then these high officials and satraps came Notice this word, by agreement, 
to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Uh, Suck-ups. All, all the high officials of the kingdom, and the precepts and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are all agreed. We are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den alliance. That sounds like a pretty simple statement, but let's talk about some of this. Why do they have a den alliance? You ever think about that? Oh, they just in the back, you know, yeah, they just happen to have a bunch of caged up lions in a den. That's kind of strange. Well, it does sound strange until we realize that this is the Medes and the Persians. These guys were ruthless. These guys were, they could do some pretty wicked things. This was their electric chair. This was their way in which to enforce capital punishment. You know, in the electric chair, they put a hood over the person, they flip the switch, you don't see anything. In this, you get to see all the gruesome, gory details. You get to see it all. And just so you think that this is, uh, oh, this is ancient time. This couldn't happen today. Well, in December of 2013, it was reported by several news agencies that Kim Jong-un, not Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un stripped his brother, the second guy in charge, he stripped him naked, and he threw him in a cage of 120 Malchurian hunting dogs that had been starved for three days, where he was eaten alive as Kim Jong-un and his officials watched. That was in 2013. This kind of stuff still happens, and it's sick but it still happens. These accusers were playing right into Darius's egotism. Egotism. You know, they were playing into what every ruler wants. Hey, we're just going to make a little decree. It's no big deal. It's only for 30 days. We just want to make sure everybody's going to bow down to you, O king, because you're worthy to be bowed down to. It's not a big deal. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Kind of an ancient rule there. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction when Daniel knew. And this is kind of the turning point. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber and he opened them towards Jerusalem. When Daniel heard of this injunction, this decree, was he going to change anything? I mean, we're going to find out that this is his common practice. And now they pass a law that you cannot do something that Daniel had been doing for 80, almost 80 years. And now they say, okay, you can't do this. It's illegal for 30 days. Daniel says, no. I'm not going to change. I know, what, I know what God does. I know what God does when people, God's people pray, and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to change anything. He didn't get worried. He didn't get frantic. Um, why did he pray towards Jerusalem? What's going on in Jerusalem right now? Can I give you a hint of that earlier in the message? Remember Zerubbabel? 
50,000 Hebrews had returned to Jerusalem. Daniel is praying for his people to do God's work, to rebuild God's house so that once again the glory of God could be uh, displayed to Israel. So that's why I think he was facing Jerusalem. Daniel was not going to let his accusers strip him from the opportunity to intervene for his people and to intercede for them. And Daniel knew that God always works through the prayers of his people. And so they were going to allow that. So it says, it continues to say in verse 10, he, Daniel, got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. That language is very interesting because it indicates that he was not praying for himself. He was interceding for someone else is what that language is really all about. And as he had done previously, Daniel's faith was four things. Daniel's faith was public. Daniel was a God follower, and they knew that he was a God follower, and he had been demonstrating that he was a God follower for almost 70 years at this point. Most people struggle with their Christianity, and this is what is, is sad, and it shouldn't be this way. It should be just the opposite of this. Children that grow up in Christian homes, that hear God's word when they're young and grow up, uh, they should be the ones that are the least likely to struggle with their Christian life, with their Christian witness when they get older. Should be that way, at least I would think so. But often it's just the opposite. Those that grow up in the church get so callous, so used to hearing about God's word and around God's people, and they, they see all the goodness that the church can portray for them, that when they get out, they take it for granted. Then they don't live for God like they used to or like they should. And it shouldn't be that way. And it's strange that those who come to faith in Christ later in life, they understand what they've been missing out on. And they're the ones that are the more bold witnesses for God. It shouldn't be that way, but that's often the way it portrays. But Daniel's faith was public. You know, and why is it that in our day, in our time, in our culture today, that if, that if you're Muslim or uh, you're, you're a Hindu or if you're New Age, you can say and write and do whatever your beliefs tell you to do. And everybody applauds and says, way to go for standing up for your beliefs. But as soon, and I love this book uh, several years ago by Lee Strobel, The Problem with Jesus. And as soon as you mention Jesus, now you can say God or you can say Lord, you know, you can use generic terms. But as soon as you say Jesus, you get labeled. And then everything turns different. Then it's like, oh, you're a Christian. And then you get almost attacked like some of these ferocious dogs that attacked these people. Not only was his faith public, he was also principled. You know, Daniel didn't worry about this decree. You know, he knew, you know, the principle that the apostles followed in Acts chapter 4, who said, you know what, do we obey God or do we obey man? What, what's the choice here? Well, the choice is no choice. We, may, we obey God. Every time, hands down, we obey God. When man's rules violate God's rules, God's rules win every time. He was principled. He didn't worry. He did what he always did. 
because he knew God had proven himself. You know, one of the things about living for, for Christ, living for the Lord over a long period of time, is you get to see God's faithfulness in circumstances and situations. And that's what Daniel had seen. You know, again, Daniel is over 80 years old. He had seen God work in the past. And he says, God did it back then. God's going to do it now. I don't know how. God's going to do it. Trust. That's what it means. It was also peaceful. You know, Daniel didn't throw a temper tantrum. He didn't create a, you know, let's, let's call all my Hebrew friends and we'll, we'll, have a, uh, we'll have a revolt down in, you know, the square in the capital. He didn't do that. He just peacefully said, you know what? I'm not going to make a public scene. I'm going to go in private and I'm going to pray to God and we're going to get things worked out. And as God has done in the past, God will do even now. And then the last thing is, it was predictable, his, his faith was predictable and disciplined. You know, and that's the way it should be with God's people. God's people should have a character that's exhibited by predictable disciplines, that they're regular in God's word, they're regular in prayer, they're regular in their walk with the Lord. You know, Daniel knew that God moved through prayer. And so Daniel just says, okay, we're going to pray about this. We're going to see what God's going to do. Verse 11, then these men came, notice this word again, by agreement, and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. I wonder what they heard. You know, because clearly Daniel is on the roof of his house. He's on the second floor. He's on the roof of his house, and they're listening to what Daniel is doing and what he's praying for. Do you think that they heard Daniel praying for his, his uh, Hebrew uh, family or Hebrews that were going back to Jerusalem? Do you think that he heard, they heard uh, Daniel praying for Darius, the king? Do you think that he, they heard him praying for others in the kingdom? I just wonder what he heard. I, I wonder this. Did they hear Daniel praying for them and their families? That they would be prosperous and that they would be wise in their leadership. I wonder what they heard Daniel praying for. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making a petition. You know, that's exactly what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. That prayers ought to be made for all people. Especially for kings and all those are in high positions. That's what we're told to do in the New Testament. You know, and I just still wonder... Could they have heard Daniel praying for them? And yet they were so determined to get this guy. You know, it's just sad. 80 years of ministry had clearly demonstrated that God was going to work. You know, and this is one of the things that Daniel probably would tell us. Hey, folks, non-Christians are going to act like non-Christians. Just count on it because it's going it's to work out. And I, I've talked with Christians before that, you know, get frustrated about their non-Christian friends or their non-Christian associates and the way they behave. And it's like, well, they're not Christians. Why would you expect them to behave like a Christian? These guys aren't followers of God. Why would they do anything else but not follow God? Also, Daniel, Daniel demonstrated this. And what he had learned in 80 years, you know, 70 years of ministry is that, hey, bitterness doesn't hurt anybody but yourself. And Daniel would probably say that to us. Hey, there's no need to get angry and bitter. It's not going to do anything except make you, make you a bad person. 
make you a person that no one wants to be around. It's very unproductive, by the way. It only hurts yourself. Maybe in that very same afternoon, this is what happens. Verse 12, then they came near and said to before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, yep, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, 